word and simplify it for you. How's that? Good? It's great to be here today, even in the heat. Amen? Amen. We're going to uh, be in chapter 2 of Malachi as we continue our series of messages in the small books of the Bible, and Malachi is one of those. Please stand as we have the reading of God's Word this morning. And let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, the truth, the guidance, the rebuke, all that your Word gives mankind. Lord, I pray as we open up your Word today, Reveal your truths to our hearts and our lives, but most of all, re reveal yourself in a very powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in verses 10 through 17 of Malachi 2. Let's read. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah had acted treacherously, and detestable act had been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and he married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, wherever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offering or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why? Because even the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a um, portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. He hates, and if he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. You ask, how have we wearied him? When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he delighted with them, or else where is the God of justice? You may be seated. I want to remind you this morning that Malachi paints a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness and their willful disobedience that clearly reveals that they deserve punishment. But woven throughout this very small book, the last book of the Old Testament, is hope and a possibility of forgiveness. And again, I'm going to challenge you as I did last week. I want you to see yourself as the recipient of this word of God to his people. And I want you to evaluate the depth of your commitment, the sincerity of your worship, and the direction of your life. Because this word in the book of Malachi, the Old Testament, not only speaks to the nation of Israel, but to the church of the 21st century. And then allow God to restore your relationship with him through his love and forgiveness. Now, I want to open up with uh, two short verses in Genesis 7, beginning in verse 24 through Genesis 8, verse 1. I believe we have this on the screen. Genesis 7:24. No, we'll open, let me turn to that. It's there? Okay. 
The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And that's all you have. I'd have to. <laughs> now I've got to go to Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah as well as the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subside. Now I'll turn to Exodus 2.24. Maybe we have this one. Exodus 2.24. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I introduce you to those very short uh, passages to uh, remind you that God remembered his covenant. He never forgot Noah. It simply means he, God, was faithful to his covenant with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Malachi was speaking to a different time of history than most other Old Testament prophets. Malachi was... The Old Testament prophet, he was the last of the Old Testament prophet. This was about 430 B.C., the final messenger before the coming of the Messiah. His writings were not along the lines of talking about Daniel in the lion's den or rebuilding Jerusalem walls. It was nothing like that. Malachi was speaking to people moving into a new temple who still had these old hearts towards God. Uh, the, I guess you could say the, uh, what? How have we failed you? Top generation. Approximately 50 years had passed since Haggai, Zechariah, um, was prophesying. The temple uh, and the city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. There was no captivity. Life was much easier at this time. And gradually, the people returned to normal life. God was reminding his people in, in the book of Malachi about his covenant and what it was all about. But here's the dilemma. God remembers his covenant, but his people had forgotten it. It is to these people that Malachi steps onto the scene. Let me just say that the line in the sand between the people of God and the worldly people around them had begun to disappear. And like most all prophets in the Old Testament, repent was a common word in Malachi's vocabulary. Now the first half of Malachi chapter 2 is dominated by the word covenant. We had a brief introduction to the word covenant just a few moments ago. Few biblical words are more significant than covenant. Covenant is a word that's often neglected and it's often misunderstood, but it's the centerpiece of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. Your relationship to God's covenant will govern everything else in your life. Be reminded of that. God has established many covenants, such as the covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, the covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15. Uh, covenant with Moses, uh, Exodus 19 through chapter 34. Covenant with David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the one that's important to us all is the new covenant through Jesus Christ, Luke 22 and Hebrews chapter 8. 
Now, understand a covenant is, is not just a contract. It's a spiritual binding relation, relational agreement between God and his people. Covenants uh, are how God administers or governs his kingdom. It's like, how can I explain this to give you a clear understanding? A covenant is like a divine umbrella, okay? Provides covering. There is protection and provision under his covenant. Now, through covenants, God works out his kingdom agenda for the benefit of his people. Now, understand that covenants are intended to bring blessings, but I don't want you to forget this. Yes, covenants are for blessings, but they also include sanctions, punishments, if the responsibilities and guidelines were not followed. And that's where we are in Exodus, and that includes us. So Malachi prophesied, uh, prophesied against the Israelites' infidelity, robbing God, divorce, and understand all of these that I just mentioned were articles and terms under the covenant of God. God remembered the covenants they forgot. And it's also important to notice the social environment that was present in the time of Malachi, what was happening during this era. The people were back in their hometown. Uh, they were in a new church, a new temple, but with very little original wealth and prosperity. The land had, been, uh, had not been farmed in many years. They were starting all over again, starting fresh. Times were tight, crops were lean, herds were a lot smaller. But God had always made it clear that when his people went through uh, their herds searching for a sacrifice, they were to offer the most perfect they could find to present to God, right? We're all familiar with this. That wasn't difficult when the fields were filled with, with fat and healthy herds, and it, was, and it was all before the captivity. But it became harder to do when times were few and lean with their herds. We can almost imagine that. So the Israelites couldn't just justify burning on an altar for one short religious ritual. Their emotional justification was this. I don't think God would expect us to offer our best if the flock is in lean times. So the people thought, and they offered, what they felt was more realistic. To them, it was easily explained and it was justified. Do we think like that sometimes? But let me give you the results when those moments come in our life. Here's the results. Feelings and social environment begin to dictate your, worship, your sacrifice. It begins to dictate your obedience to God. It begins to dictate your worship as it did to the nation of Israel in the book of Malachi. Their social environment was beginning to dictate everything they did in life. Not so much has changed in the 21st century church, has it? So God rebuked the priest because they had given into what was expedient rather than what was right. They were taking shortcuts. They had tailored even their message that they were giving to the people was, was more in line with the fit the times rather than hold to God's method and his truth. 
the priests didn't take God's priority seriously. Even though God had reminded them through his word over and over and over again, God remembered. He remembered the covenant they forgot. Turn with me to Malachi. Let's look at the verses 4 through 6. Malachi 2, 4 through 6. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instructions was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and upright, uh, uprightness and turned many from sin. Levi. Who was Levi? He was an ancestor of the tribe of the Levites, the Hebrew tribe set apart for the service of God. The Levites became God's ministers, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. The Levites were not afraid to distance themselves from anyone who questioned the authority of God. Moses said to the Levites, whoever is for the Lord, he said to the nation of Israel, who is ever for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied around Moses. The priests were God's messengers. They didn't know God's will in Malachi chapter 2. And the lack of their knowledge, their disobedience, caused them to lead God's people astray. Their ignorance was willful, and it was inexcusable to God. So understand, pastors and leaders of God's people must know God's word. What it says, what it means, and how it applies to daily life. And as a follower of Christ, professing Christians, you too must know God's word. So the obvious question is, how much time do you spend in God's Word in your life? Not knowing God's Word and His will will, will have always been a massive threat to truth. When we do not know the Word of God or His will, it is going to distort His truth. So, Jesus also addressed this issue with the Pharisees in the New Testament. John chapter 5, verse 44. He says, How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying the Pharisees were attempting to follow the Mosaic law to the letter, and even added several hundred laws of their own, 613 to be exact. So Moses wrote and he even foretold of the coming Messiah, Jesus. Yet the religious leaders in the first century refused to believe Jesus even when he was right in their midst. So what was keeping them from Jesus? Rather than seeking glory that comes from the only God, they were accepting glory from one another. In other words, they enjoy being popular. And I want you to notice something about what's happening here. When this happens, first, the message becomes shaped to the taste of the people. Second, once that occurs, the presence and power of God fades from among his people. 
Did you understand what I just said? This was what was happening in Malachi's day. And God was furious with the priest for not making clear to the people that he, God, would not accept anything less than his will and his way. Nothing less. I mean, he goes on to the source of the problem. And I'm paraphrasing this. He's saying the people are bringing sick and diseased sacrifices to me because you, speaking of the priests, the leaders, are allowing them. They don't respect the truth. They don't respect God's word. Why? Because you don't. God remembered the covenant. God remembers they forgot. I have a warning for everyone that's listening this morning. Do not pronounce blessings on what God does not bless. It's spiritual suicide. And then, after he rebukes the leaders, the priests, in Malachi's day, then God addresses the sinful people. Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. The words of God. And two sins specifically are dealt with in verses 11 through 16. And we'll cover those. First, the first sin he dealt with was entering a wrong marriage. Second, putting away lawful wives to marry pagans. The people were unfaithful. Though not openly saying they rejected God, they were, they were living as he didn't exist. That he would not do anything about how they were living their lives. The people had become complacent about obeying the laws and the word of God, the truths of God. And they were complaining about their, their difficult circumstances when they only had themselves to blame. Their complacency gradually led to a blatant sin in their life, such as a marriage to those who worshipped idols. And then they brought that in to the temple. You know, people often try to avoid guilt by shifting the blame. But this doesn't solve the problem. When we face problems, should we look first at ourselves? Would you think? Question. If you changed your attitude or behavior, would many of your problems be solved? I would say yes. Absolutely. First sin he makes mention of. Unlawful marriages. God called it detestable. 
a holy nation, a holy people, set aside for God, joining themselves to the pagans, joining themselves to the world. In marrying pagans, non-believing wives, men were in rebellion and desecrating God's sanctuary. Do you call that an issue? Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's the ways of the world, uh, Satan, ungodly people. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 4 as well. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drive out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jezebites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly, it will quickly destroy you. This is what was happening in Malachi's day. And I will be bold enough that's to tell you that's exactly what's happening in the 21st century church. They were sinning against clear knowledge. Clearly God's will, His truth. And what happens when we disobey them and what we will come into. Second sin, Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. A, a word that is very popular in our generation, divorce. Why is God so upset? Divorce was common occurring for no other reason than a desire for change. The people acted as if they could do anything without being punished. And they wondered why God refused to accept their offerings and bless them. Most think marriage is a covenant between two people. Fair enough? You're wrong. It's a covenant between three. Husband, wife, God. God remembers they forgot. They destroyed a pact, agreement, covenant. I guess you could call them traitors because they were bowing out of the covenant. 
So God reminds them, you know that covenant that you made with your wife years ago? You may have forgotten it, but I haven't. In other words, when you've made a covenant with God, you don't just divorce your wife because and marry another. You cut yourself off from God. Divorce in those days were practiced exclusively by men. They broke faith with their wives and ignored the bonding relationship between a husband and wife that God created. Not only were men breaking faith back in that day with their wives, they were also ignoring the bonding relationship and spiritual purpose of being united with God. Totally ignoring it. So to put away, divorce your wife and marry another, according to God, adultery. And God joins no adulterous affair. That's why God hates divorce. We are living in a day when divorce has lost its stigma, its shame. It's recognized as acceptable and often unavoidable. God's people today want to appease, pacify the taste of the present society rather than apply the truth. And as a result, couples often, watch this, they often gamble with prenuptial agreements or simply live together instead of marrying. Plus, some Christians fail to see the spiritual aspect of marriage and as a result, they marry unbelievers. Those that deny God. Those who do not worship God. Those who do not walk with God. And if you're a believer and that's a situation that's put before you, and you marry an unbeliever, you're asking for issues and troubles. Unless this is not discussed up front. Given our modern culture perspective, we need to know God's view on marriage. And Malachi gives it to us without holding back. And understand this. This was the cause of the Pharisees' question to Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 19. They asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus says, have you not read? Have you not read that at the beginning the Creator made him male and female cleave to his wife? One flesh. There are no more, uh, there are no more two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together Covenant, let man not separate. Yes, there is an exception to the clause. Matthew 19, Jesus said. Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. You were stubborn. You were disobedient. You were unfaithful. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. God remembers. God remembers we forget. It's not in man's power to sever the marriage bond. Present in this marriage relationship is man, woman, and God. 
a covenant he will not forget. Let's read verse 17. Let's read verse 17 of Malachi chapter 2. Yeah, we got it up here. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? God remembers, we forget. Malachi is more modern than some people may think. From the beginning, it was not so. It's not the way God designed it. God's covenant, he remembers, we forget. It's not in man's power to separate this. The Lord continues telling his people that they were wearying him. How? They complain that he, God, was unfair. God lost patience with the way people had, I don't know, sarcastically twisted his truths to fit their life. They didn't understand or believe that, that uh, God would punish those who insisted that because he was silent, he approved of their actions. Or at least would never reprimand them. And they didn't understand that God would also punish those who professed a counterfeit faith while acting sinfully in their life. But he does. If we're honest with ourselves, most of, most of us have thought and acted something similar from time to time in our life, right? We're really no different than the people in Malachi's day. So let's wind this down. In Psalm 111, I'm going to take a moment and, I, and I'm going to read the 10 verses. I believe it's 10 verses. Psalm 111. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works by giving them the inheritance of the nations. The work of his hands are truth and justice. All his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever and acted in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. And then turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 14 and 15. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Do you know that? Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that the people will fear him. Whatever he has already, what has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. That's our God. What's the purpose of life? It's that we should glorify, revere, fear, stand in awe of the Almighty God. 
It is impossible to fulfill your God-given purpose unless you revere God and give Him first place in your life. That's the Word of God. That's His covenant with us. Even under the covenant of Christ Jesus, the entire book of Malachi reveals the people were participating in religious exercises and worldly lives while neglecting a genuine relationship with the Lord. Malachi is more present day than ever before. He is not just talking to the nation of Israel 400 years before Jesus Christ. This message is very clear to all God's people, past, present, and future. They wanted the covering of the covenant, the blessing, without being properly aligned under God. And if we want the protection of that divine umbrella that I illustrated earlier, we must stay under the alignment of God. That's the covenant. If we step out from that, disasters, problems, issues, all come into our life when it comes to the things of God. They wanted the covering of the covenant. They wanted the blessings. Don't we all? Right? But the key is they were not properly aligned under God. Now how fair is that? That shouldn't upset God. God remembers. We forget. He always remembers. And we forget. When I talk about covenants in the Bible, understand it's just not Old Testament. There is a covenant in the New Testament that we all proclaim under Jesus Christ. And there's that umbrella of protection that we're under because of that covenant. We are to be God's holy people separated from the world. In a sense that we do not interact in the ways of the world, but we are to be the light in darkness, right? We are to speak truth in light of all darkness. Yes, as Scripture tells us, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're here for a purpose. Once we come under the covenant of Jesus Christ, He is our King. He is our life. He comes inside of us and we follow. God remembers. We forget. Today is a great reminder of the covenant that the church has with God that we are to be his people. This time I'm going to have praise team come.
as we prepare a song for invitation, whether it be on piano or how, however, but let's take this moment and understand how the Word of God is not just for a season of history. It's for all mankind. It's for us and the followers to come in the future. His covenant still stands. He remembers, we forget. So I ask you to stand. As the praise team prepares for a song of invitation, let us pray. And during our time of worship, respond to God's call in your life. And remember the challenge that was given to you for the last couple of weeks about hearing these words, not from just the book of Malachi and for the people back then, but your personal life and in your walk with God. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I just pray that our time of worship, our time of praise, our time of reading of the word, the time of, of you revealing your word to us has been fruitful but also honored and glorified you. So Lord, I pray if there be anyone, any family that is struggling with uh, issues in their life this morning, Lord, I pray that they come before you, come to your altar, bow before you, and confess that we have forgotten. But because of a gracious, loving, merciful God, you remind us. You give us hope and opportunity for forgiveness just by coming before you and repenting of those situations in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life that, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?